Good morning. Have we got a picture to have up on the screen? Hey, look at that. Uh, I thought I'd show you a picture of a beach, um, partly to cheer you up after a snowy week. Um, and then also, if you get really bored, you can look at that and picture your summer holidays and uh, imagine what you'll be doing. So feel free to do that. Um, but yes, we're thinking today about the Bible, about God's Word. And yeah, we've got a reading we had just two weeks ago. Um, and when Tom gave it to me, I thought, that's a bit strange. Um, but actually, I think it works really well with, uh, with what we're doing. Because you may be familiar with um, this idea that there's a, an image, a metaphor of the Bible being like the sea, uh, being like a beach. Um, because if you go to the beach, um, kind of anyone can join in. You get kind of really little children kind of just running in and out of the waves and kind of sitting there and building sandcastles. You get older people in the waves, swimming around, people in boats, paddle boarding. Um, you get people like Amos Slater with his marine biology studying it and with microscopes and all that. Um, you get people going much further out, diving on bigger boats, but it's all in the same bit of sea. And the Bible's a bit like that. We've got stories that children love reading. We've got stuff that we can study deeper. We can engage with it at kind of any time. But it's also a bit like this, because actually, if you go to this bit of beach and look that way, you see that view. But if you walk down the other end and look back, you see a whole load of other stuff. If you go in the morning, it's different to if you go in the evening. And when you go as a child, it looks like one thing. We used to go down to <coughs> Swansea a lot and there'd be big rocks and I used to take the boys and teach them how to climb up these enormous, mountainous rocks. They're about this big. Um, but when you're four, that's really big. And now, of course, when they go, it's completely different. You sit on the rock, you watch the sunset or whatever. But it's the same place. And that's a bit what we're going to be doing today. Last week, it's like, or two weeks ago, it's as if Tom took us down to this end of the beach and said, look at this passage. Look what it teaches us about temptation, about resisting temptation. And today, it's a bit like we've walked down the other end of the beach, we're looking back again and going, look at this passage. From this angle, we can see what it says about the Bible. And then at the end, we're going to do a very quick kind of dive down a bit deeper and just see what happens when you dive a bit deeper into Scripture. So that's what we're going to be doing. So let's just pray and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we come to it, we come to hear you and to, to hear what you want to say to us today. So we ask that you would speak to us, you would draw us closer to you and transform us to be the people you want us to be. Amen. So we're reading the Bible, we're reading this bit from Matthew, and in this bit of Matthew, in these temptations, uh, when Jesus is tempted, he responds by quoting the Bible. So we're reading the Bible, and in the bit of the Bible, we're reading about Jesus quoting the Bible. It's like that, one of those kind of play within a play. We're reading the Bible, and the Bible's talking about the Bible. Um, but I think it's really important, this, that when Jesus is tempted, he doesn't just draw on kind of a good bit of wisdom, or a kind of, I'll go and clear off. His immediate response is Scripture. Jesus, that's what he turns to. That's what equips him, strengthens him, gives him what he needs, even in times of trouble. And it's not, he doesn't need to uh, go, hang on a minute, oh, I've got a good answer. I don't know, are you one of those people like me, when something happens and you have a, a, a bit of a rubbish answer, then you go home and go, oh, if only I'd said that, that would have been the killer answer. Oh, I, that's the verse, I knew there was one somewhere. Jesus doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to quickly 
get his phone out and look it up on an app or, or search it or, or, or pull a Bible out. And that, I don't think, it's not just because he's the son of God and kind of knows stuff. Um, it's because as a Jewish boy, he would have grown up in the synagogue. He would have gone every week. He would have read the Hebrew Scriptures, what we often call the Old Testament. That's what he would have read growing up week after week. He'd have studied the Torah, the uh, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. He would have read the Psalms, been familiar with the prophets. And because he would have read it all his life and studied it, because he knew that this was God's Word, it just kind of came out. It was just there. He was seeped in it. It was absolutely fundamental to him. It nourished him so that when he needed something to draw on, when he needed some morality, when he needed some spiritual guidance, instantly, bang, Scripture was there. It was so soaked into him. And what he quotes, of course, we read the Bible, and in this bit of the Bible, we read about Jesus quoting the Bible, so we've gone down one level. What he quotes is this verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, man shall not live by, by uh, bread alone, but by the word of God. When Satan goes, you must be hungry, turn these stones into bread, go on. Jesus says, and he quotes the Bible, and he quotes the Bible, quoting the Bible again. So we've now gone another. So this is a play within a play within a play. So we've gone kind of right down to the Bible, talking about the Bible, talking about the Bible. Um, and what he's saying is, Jesus knows. When Satan says, turn these stones into bread, Jesus says, no, no, no. People can't live just on bread. Yeah, you need bread, I get that. But we need God's Word. That's what nourishes our souls. That's what builds up our spirit. We need, bread, we need bread, but we need God's Word. Our souls, our spirit will not grow and thrive and be nourished without God's Word. We cannot survive spiritually on bread alone. This really mattered to Jesus, this Scripture. And the Scriptures, the Bible, is described in all sorts of different ways. We've heard it there in that, that passage from Psalm 119, which is a very long psalm, but it is amazing to read, about the Word being like a, a lamp, uh, a light to our, our feet and a lamp for our path, guiding us, showing us, giving us instruction, helping us know how to live. But he also talks about it being sweeter than honey, it's a blessing. It's rich like honey. Other writers in Scripture talk about it being like a, a double-edged sword, kind of cutting to the quick, getting to the heart of the matter. And of course, talked about being inspired by God. God breathed. And that is fundamentally why Jesus is so steeped in it, why he talks about um, not living by bread alone, but by the word of God. Because it's not just the word of God, it's God, well it is, it's God's word breathed by God. This is the inspired word of God. It's not just words on a page, it is God breathed. When all those people, ordinary humans wrote it, they wrote it under God's inspiration. It's what God wants us to have. So I want to say that when we read the Bible, it is in fact a sacred and holy act. Let me say that again. Reading the Bible is a sacred and holy act. And it's sacred and holy because this is God's breathed word. This is the word that God wants us 
to have. When we read it in an attitude of prayer, it's a spiritual act. It's a spiritual occasion of our engagement with God. We read it to listen to God. Not just for information, not just how to live. We read it to listen to God. And I wonder whether we should get into the habit of talking about listening to our Bibles, not reading our Bibles. I mean, yes, you can listen to it uh, online or whatever, but actually when we read the Bible, we are listening to God. So when you come to read your Bible at any time, think about going, I'm now going to listen to my Bible. What is God saying to me? That's what we do. So through the Bible, we encounter the very Word of God himself. God speaks through Scripture. And that's really important because we worship a God not who has spoken, not who is silent. We worship a God who speaks, who still speaks, longs to speak to each one of us because he loves us. And one of the ways primarily that God speaks is through his word. He continues to speak through his word. So when we come to read scripture, as Jesus did, we come to hear God who still wants to speak. That is why this becomes sacred and holy, because we are sitting at the feet of God, listening to him speak today. So when you read your Bible, however you do it, whether you sit at home uh, with a, a physical Bible, whether you've got an app on your phone, whether it's here in church, and I would encourage you to be doing it at home as well, really good to get into that habit of just taking a moment before you read to just acknowledging that you are coming into God's presence when you read the Bible. This sacred space you're going to be in. And listen. Ask God, what is it you're saying? Listen to God's word, to God speaking afresh. Because fundamentally we read the Bible to meet with God. To meet with the almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, that's who we meet when we read Scripture and who wants to meet us and who wants to speak to us. I wonder if you've ever thought of the Bible in that way. This profound, sacred act of listening to the Almighty God as he speaks afresh. I wonder when you read, do you expect God to speak to you? Do you come expectant? What is God going to say today? <clears throat> Because that is how God wants us to be receiving his word. To be listening for his fresh word, for what he's speaking today. Because clearly there are people who don't read scripture like that. There's lots of people who read it um, for study, for historical study, for theology, to be critical of it, whatever. And they just read it. That is not entering into God's presence. But we are called to read it in this sacred way to be aware of God's presence through his life-giving words, through this inspired, God-breathed scripture. It's what makes the Bible different to any other religious book we'll read. There's all sorts of good Christian books out there. They're not the God-breathed, inspired word of God. God speaks through other things as well, but primarily through scripture. So we treat scripture differently. And uh, I think sometimes in our tradition, it's easy to forget how sacred it is when we read Scripture. Um, I'm 
guilty of this, I can treat it very casually, the, the physical book, because it's the words, the meaning, the matter. But sometimes if I go to some of the other churches, I was up at St. Agatha's up at the top of the Stratford Road uh, the other week, an Anglican church from the kind of what they call the Anglo-Catholic tradition. So it's fairly kind of sort of Roman Catholic in its style, but it is a, a Church of England church. And there they take the physical presence of Scripture really seriously. They hold it up high, they walk it down the middle of the aisle when they're reading the gospel, everyone turns to face it. And that can be enriching. Don't have to do it, lots of people don't. But sometimes just thinking for ourselves, does the way we physically treat the Bible help us or inspire us in our way that we treat the, the message more specially? Sometimes the physical can really help the spiritual. When we just think about how are we treating our scriptures? Do we treat them in that sacred way? I'm not saying we have to do that all the time, but sometimes it's just a good prompt to be aware that as we read it, we are being obedient, we are encountering God. And there's a, an, another part of the Bible where Jesus again talks about the Bible, um, and it's another one that's a great kind of beach kind of metaphor bit. You know the story of the, the wise and foolish builders who built the house on the rock on the sand? Do, do people know that one? Um, and it's one of those great ones. When you're a child, if you're in a, a sort of Sunday school, you'll act it out, and, uh, and you'll do the song, and you'll draw the pictures, and it's brilliant for children as a story uh, that Jesus told. And then when you get a bit older, you're told it's a parable, and that means it's a story with a meaning. And then when you're a bit older, you read what the meaning is, and you read that bit at the start where Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and obeys them, it's like the man with the house on the rock, and whoever hears these words of mine and does not obey them, and you realize this is a parable not about just being wise and foolish, it's not a parable about whether you've heard God or not, it's about whether you actually take his words seriously. And Jesus there is saying, when we encounter God's word, when we come into this sacred space of sitting at his feet and listening to him and allowing him to speak to us, we should then be obedient. That's what we're called to do, is to go away from having read the Bible changed and living differently, of being obedient to God's word. That's why Jesus told that parable. But the other reason why we read God's scripture is what happened at the second uh, temptation. So that was the first one. The second one, uh, Satan comes and, and tempts him to throw himself off the temple because angels will come and lift him up and, and look after him. And the reason Satan says that is because he says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against stone. And Jesus replies instantly with, it also says, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Because Jesus knows that what Satan just did was he quoted the Bible. But he got it wrong. And when we are steeped in Scripture, when we are people who have read it a lot and got to grips with it and, and listened to it a lot, we become people able to spot when people are misusing it. Because people do. Yeah, it, Satan says it says this, and yeah, it does. But it says it in a psalm, which is a poem. It's imagery. We don't read the psalms for clear instruction. We read them because it's poetry. It engages our emotions. It engages the way we feel about life. Satan got it wrong. But yeah, it does say it. And Jesus knew instantly, yeah, yeah, but that's not what it means. Because in elsewhere in Scripture, a number of times, it talks about not putting God to the test. That isn't what that psalm means. And we need to be people able to discern when we hear where things feel, that's not quite right. 
because people have done that and continue to do it. People have taken one or two verses and twisted the meaning and justified terrible persecution of the Jews down the centuries because of twisting one or two verses. Justifying slavery or colonialism. People have said, well, it says, go into all the earth and make disciples of all nations so we can trash everybody else's culture and deny what they've done and and just take everything away because that's what it says. But it also says, love your neighbour, love your enemy, share your faith with gentleness and respect. It doesn't say trash other people's cultures. That's wrong. It doesn't preach greed. And yet there are many churches, including some in Birmingham, who actually preach, if you're a Christian, you should be very, very wealthy. Wealthier than other people. That is not what those verses mean when it talks about God blessing us. It doesn't preach nationalism. The English Defence League used the Bible and Christian imagery to defend appalling Islamophobia and racism. If you look at any images from the, uh, the storming of the Capitol in Washington on, uh, a couple of years ago, the Make America Great Again movement, the depressing pictures you'll see, the number there that had crosses on their flags, quotes of Jesus on their flags, as if somehow that was a Christian act. No, the Bible does not teach nationalism. If you hear on the news at the moment, Patriarch Krill, the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church, justifying what he calls the holy war that Vladimir Putin is doing, as if somehow it's a godly act. The Bible does not teach that. And we need to be people who can hear where it doesn't sound right. And that doesn't mean you have to know everything or be a great scholar. Just every so often, it, and a, a little test for you, a little way to help you think, gosh, how would I know that? If you hear anything, every so often just think, does that sound like the kind of thing that Jesus would have said? Can I imagine Jesus saying, make America great again, or I'm in the English Defence League? And if you can't, go and read the Gospels again and just check. Because that's always a really good test. Does that sound like the kind of thing Jesus would have said or done? And if you even if, just asking that, you'll be pretty much on the right track. But we need to be people like Jesus who can spot because people do misuse Scripture. But Jesus knew the way to counter that was by using Scripture rightly. The way to counter bad use of Scripture, bad religion, is to do good use of Scripture, good religion. And then in this final temptation, once again, when uh, Satan says, worship, all, everyone worship you, Jesus once again, straight away, bang, but Scripture says. So I hope you can see that we've kind of gone down this other end of the beach, we've looked back and gone from this passage that two weeks ago we saw it was all about temptation, this week we can see it's all about Scripture. It's all about what God says about his breathed word and how he wants to speak to us. And before we finish, just for two minutes, very quickly, I want to show what happens when we kind of dive in a bit deeper because there's a load of other stuff we could in any passage you can go on and on but do you notice at the start of this passage um, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights now here's a little thing in the bible numbers matter quite a lot they're quite good key things and the number 40 is one of those when you hear 40 your ears should prick up and go oh hello that means something 40 days and 40 nights. Anyone heard that phrase before in Scripture, anywhere in the Bible? Something happening for 40 days and 40 nights? A few nods. Yeah. Philippa, where did you heard it before? You've heard it before? Oh, we, heard that, we saw the picture earlier, didn't we? Noah's Ark, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, didn't it? Do you remember that? Yeah. 40 days and 40 nights, it rained in the ark when God washed away sin. 
There's a couple of others that are less famous. When uh, Moses got the Ten Commandments, when God's word came to the people so they'd have God's word and the commandments, he went up on a mountain to get the uh, commandments. Guess how long he was up the mountain for? 40 days and 40 nights. When Elijah, having fought the prophets of Baal, went off to Mount Horeb and met God, encountered God there in the still small voice. There was an earthquake and then the fire, and after the fire was a still small voice. He encountered God. Guess how long he had to wait between leaving Baal and encountering God? 40 days and 40 nights. And the other time we hear 40, the people of Israel, when they left slavery in Egypt and wandered around the desert, they did it for 40 years. To get from slavery to freedom to the promised land, the number was 40. So the number 40 means sins being washed away. The number 40 means God's word for us. The number 40 means encountering God. The number 40 means getting from slavery to freedom to the promised land. Any of this ringing any bells with Jesus? Jesus who washes away our sins? Jesus, God's word, in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, who takes us from slavery and sin to freedom to the promised land. All that from the number 40. You see, when we dig into this stuff, and we see this right at the start of Jesus' ministry, not at the end, we go, oh, look, I've spotted now. The right hand, right at the start. And we can see that Jesus' ministry isn't a whole new idea because it links back to Noah and the ark right at the start of scripture, the number 40, and washing away sin, and it flows through. And that's how God breathes life through these words. That's how God speaks to us in different ways. And that's what happens when we encounter God's word humbly, prayerfully, as a holy and sacred act. And God wants to continue to speak to each one of us today. Amen.